Our second presentation for tonight is entitled, How Near is the End? How near is the end? How close are we living to the second coming of Jesus? We want to know what the Bible has to say about it. And so before we get into God's word this evening, I invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for your holy word. We thank you that your word can be trusted, and we're so thankful, Lord, that your word gives us indicators to know that your coming is near. And so, Lord, we pray that you would um, once again uh, speak to us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that uh, as we open up the pages of the Bible, that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible writers would be here with us, Lord. Touch our hearts. Help us to sense the nearness of time, Lord. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. World War II began on September 1, 1939, when Germany invaded the country of Poland. Two days later, Britain and France declared war on Germany, and ten days later, Canada joined World War II. Yet, it took another two years for the United States to join the war, and we know how that came about. On December 7, 1941, two U.S. Army privates were manning a mobile radar unit on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. And as they were looking at that mobile radar unit there, they saw something on their radar screens that would turn out to be absolutely disastrous. Japanese warplanes headed directly for Oahu. The attack resulted in 2,400 American service personnel being killed, 3,350 American planes being destroyed or badly damaged, and 18 ships lost. More than 1,100 people died when the USS Arizona was sunk. It was a colossal tragedy, friends. And uh, my wife and I went there recently, and we, we actually went to the USS Arizona where it was sunk and went to the memorial. And it's just so sad, the devastation that took place on that day. And it all could have been very, very different, friends. Convinced by what, concerned by what they saw, the men contacted their superiors at Fort Schaffner, but they were told that there was nothing to worry about. They were told that it was probably American uh, planes out flying and, and, and doing maneuvers from the deck of the aircraft carrier, the USS Lexington. At 7.45 a.m., the two privates decided to go for breakfast, but by that time, the blip on their radar screen had disappeared. That was because the planes were now so close to the, uh, to, the, to the island of Oahu that the island's hills rendered the radar incapable of detecting them. This is still when mobile radar units were very new, and so it was new technology. At 7.53 uh, a.m., just eight minutes after the men went for breakfast, the bomb started to fall upon Pearl Harbor. Carnage, destruction, and devastation followed. And the great tragedy of it all, friends, is that for an hour, for a solid hour, there was clear, unmistakable, irrefutable evidence of, of what was about to take place. Evidence that danger was at hand. And the signs were screaming out that death was in the air. And the signs were observed and then ignored. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a dangerous thing to ignore the signs. It's also a dangerous thing to pick and choose what parts of this book, the Bible, 
It's, it's dangerous to, to pick and choose which parts are inspired or relevant for us today. As we begin our second message tonight, friends, I want you to know that I believe in this book with all my heart. I believe that it is a revelation from God to us. It is his love letter. It is his basic instructions before leaving earth. It's what he wants us to know and study so much. And I believe that it's trustworthy from beginning to end. In fact, the Bible makes this clear. Paul makes this claim in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Friends, this text is foundational for us as Christians, and I believe that it is true with all my heart. I believe all of the words in this book, that God has inspired them and preserved them for us today. If the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible writers to write, I believe that that same Holy Spirit can preserve his word all the way for us today. Amen? Amen. But unfortunately, there are some people out there who say that the Bible isn't inspired by God, or that only certain portions of the Bible are inspired by God. But what does the Bible say here, friends? It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, all of it. And while the Bible claims to be inspired, it doesn't say that all opinions are inspired by God. Now, coming from different backgrounds, we're all likely to see things uh, from different angles. But as we begin our second presentation tonight, we want to be careful about two things. Number one, we want to make sure that our desire is to know the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, he said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? It will make you free. It will set you free, the King James says. Truth can be known. Truth can be known. Do you believe that? And I believe that the truth is found in God's word. And notice that it, the Bible doesn't say that an opinion will make you free, or tradition, or a lie. It says the truth will make you free. That's very important to understand, friends. And the second thing is this, is that a lot of people are reluctant to give up their own opinions. And they'll make their own opinions or their own traditions more important than what the Bible actually says. And friends, that is a very dangerous position to be in. When you uh, put your opinions above the Bible, the Holy Bible. And that's a very dangerous position to be in. So friends, we need to have enough humility that we're praying Lord, guide me. Lord, show me the message of the Bible. Help me to understand your word like never before. We don't want to get into the Bible, friends, and impose our own thoughts on the Bible. That's not God's way. Instead, we want to come to the Bible in an honest effort to search it and to understand God's message for us today. And when you get to the prophecies of the Bible that are uh, symbolic, you especially want to find the Bible keys to help unlock these Bible mysteries. In the Bible, there are signs that clearly indicate that the end of the world is near. Signs that Jesus is about to return. And these are signs that you don't want to miss. One day, Jesus and his disciples were there in Jerusalem, and they were commenting on the magnificence of the beautiful temple, which had just been enlarged by the Roman Empire, the Roman government, and gazing at this incredible structure, Jesus made a startling statement to his disciples. He said this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 2. He said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, friends, this building was the most important building in the Jewish nation. 
And here Jesus said that it would be completely destroyed. The disciples would have been shocked to hear these words. And the disciples, and as the disciples and Jesus went up to Mount, the Mount of Olives, they asked Jesus the question that we all would have asked had we been there at that moment. In Matthew 24, verse 3, it tells us all about it. It says, Now he, that is Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see, the disciples were sure that, that Jerusalem and its temple would last forever. So they were confident that Jesus must be talking about the end of the world. But as we study this passage more closely, we find that Jesus is actually speaking about two events. One of them is the second coming of Jesus. When Christ comes in all his glory with all the holy angels to rescue his people. And the other event was one that would be seen by many people living in Jesus's day, many people that were alive at that time. It was the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Then Jesus went on to tell the disciples what was going to happen to the temple. He said this in Matthew 24, 15 and 16. He said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Friends, does God want us to understand his word? Absolutely he does. He didn't just give us all these prophecies and everything so that we would be so confused we could never understand it. He says right there, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now God had revealed to Daniel, the prophet, that one day Jerusalem would be destroyed. And now Jesus is reminding his disciples that Daniel's warnings would soon be fulfilled. Then Jesus went on to say this in Matthew 24, 17 and 18. He said, Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. In other words, he told them to flee for their lives. Because when they saw the armies encircling Jerusalem, destruction was imminent and that they had to get out in order to be spared. In Luke's account, in Luke 21, 20, Jesus said, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things are written may be fulfilled. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Church historian Eusebius elaborates on the destruction of Jerusalem. He says this, he says, In the year A.D. 66, approximately 33 years after Jesus gave this prediction, the Roman armies under Cestius, the Roman governor of Syria, came to put down a rebellion that had broken out where? In Jerusalem. And as they laid siege against the city, however, the city withstood the ravages of the Roman army, and finally the Roman armies withdrew, despairing of actually being able to take the city. So those who followed the instructions that Jesus gave here in Matthew chapter 24, they fled the city and they escaped the slaughter that the Roman armies would, would inflict four years later. And sadly, 1.1 million people were killed in the terrible siege of AD 70. It was absolutely awful. If only the people had heeded Jesus' instructions to flee the city years 
four years earlier. Friends, here's a striking lesson for us, a lesson on the importance of studying and understanding and believing the prophecies of Scripture. Those who believe Christ were watching for the signs and they were saved, while the unbelieving perished. So it will be at the end of the world, friends. The watchful believers will be delivered, while the careless and unbelieving will perish. So what happened to the magnificent temple? It was the most beautiful building in, in Israel, for sure, if not even in the Roman Empire. Thus, Titus, the general who was orchestrating the attack on Jerusalem, gave strict commands to not destroy the temple. But one of his soldiers ended up throwing a torch through the doors of the temple, and the temple became a blazing inferno. In order to salvage the gold that melted from the dome and ran into the masonry, the huge blocks of granite and marble had to be pried apart, and not one stone was left upon another. Exactly as Jesus foretold his disciples, uh, told his disciples 40 years earlier. So that's the first part of this prophecy in Matthew chapter 24. Now what about the second part of this prophecy regarding the end of the world? Well, friends, Jesus gave us signs to look for that show us and indicate that his coming is near. So here the disciples ask him the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They ask him point blank, and Jesus spoke very clearly on this topic. Then Jesus began to tell them what the world would be like just prior to his return. On the one hand, he said, you will see signs indicating that my return is near. But then he also said this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, friends, let's not deceive ourselves. Many people down through the years have claimed that Jesus is returning on a particular day or that the end of the world is happening at a particular time. But these people have been dead wrong. You remember not too long ago, back in 2011, there was a uh, preacher, a uh, popular preacher on the radio uh, down in California saying that Judgment Day was coming. He even named the dates. May 21, 2011, and the media gave him a lot of publicity, not because anyone in the media actually believed it, but because the media knows that nothing attracts attention like a good train wreck. And that's exactly what this prediction was going to be. No, Jesus did not return. Judgment Day didn't happen. They were just plain wrong, and that's unfortunate. And just last year, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but David Mead, a Christian numerologist, predicted that the end of the world would happen on September 23. And as I read the articles describing what he was teaching, it made absolutely no sense, friends. It had no scriptural backing, and uh, obviously we're all still here today, aren't we? So, friends, we don't want to be setting dates, we, pretending that we know precisely when Jesus will return, but there's no problem saying what we do know. And that is what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is coming quickly, or the new uh, NIV says he's coming soon. And, friends, that's close enough for me. How about you? He is coming soon. It's no wonder, though, that many Christians... Uh, sometimes roll their eyes or they shrug their shoulders when you talk about the end of the world. Even some Christians have lost the hope of Christ's soon return. 
But before we look at the signs of Christ's coming, there's something important that I want to stress here. Friends, when we talk about the end of the world from a biblical perspective, we are framing it in the context of good news. Amen? Because if what the Bible says is true, then the end of the world is really the beginning of something new and something wonderful and something beautiful. Because we read in the Bible that when Jesus comes back, there will be no more death. Amen? There will be no more pain. There will be no more heartache, no more sorrow. It's going to be a wonderful place to be. Amen? There won't be any more child abuse. There won't be spousal abuse. There won't be any marital discord. There will be no more racism. There will be no more injustice. When Jesus comes back, he's going to make all things new and all things beautiful. And that is good news. Amen? I want to be there. Thank God that we can look forward to that with hope. The great hope of Christ's return is all throughout the Bible. And it's mentioned even in the book of Job. Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 27. Job writes this. He says, For I know that my Redeemer, what? Lives. He's alive. He knew that his Redeemer was alive. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, after I die, this I know, that in my flesh I shall do what? I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Friends, Job was confident that his Redeemer was alive. In fact, he longed to be with God. His heart yearned for that experience. He had confidence that it would happen one day. And friends, we can look forward to that day with great confidence as well. Amen? So let's go back now to Matthew chapter 24, back to the signs of the second coming of Jesus. There in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said this. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Friends, when we hear about wars and rumors of wars, do we sometimes get troubled? We do, don't we? But Jesus says this, see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Friends, war is a terrible thing. In World War II, 24 million people were killed. In World War II, it was 60 million, almost triple. We can add to that the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, and most recently, the never-ending war on terrorism. Not to mention the wars that are taking place all around the world that don't even make the news. They don't even make the headlines. And what about rumors of wars? Anybody heard about any rumors recently? If you're watching the news, if you have your eyes open, you see that there are rumors. Rumors are abounding, right? There has been some serious saber rattling going on. Threats from North Korea nuking the U.S. and vice versa. Not to mention that Iraq uh, sorry, Iran isn't too friendly and neither is Russia. Rumors abound. And when Jesus said uh, a sign of his coming is wars and rumors of wars, friends, there is no doubt in my mind that he could have easily been talking about our day. Then Jesus said, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Friends, it's easy to forget that famines are still taking place all around the world. Because here in America, we don't really realize it too much. You know, we go to the grocery store, we can get whatever food we want, whenever we want it. We are very blessed in this country. Not to mention, all of us probably uh, know that our next meal isn't too far away. But there have been at least a dozen famines throughout the world 
uh, affecting millions of people in the last decade. The United Nations tells us now that one in nine people don't get enough food to live a healthy, active life. That's a huge problem, friends. Uh, That would be like 11% of the people here in this room, one out of 10 basically, is not getting enough food. But that's how it is on a global level. One person dies every five seconds from hunger-related causes. In spite of the fact that one-third of the food on this planet is wasted, thrown away. Jesus spoke of famines and pestilences. Now, pestilence is another word for disease. So do we have pestilences in our world today? Absolutely we do. There are even pestilences that we don't think much about anymore these days. According to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, AIDS is still killing at least 1.1 million people a year. Add to this, people all over the world that are dying from heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. We all know someone that's died from a heart attack. We all know people that have cancer and are battling it. These are modern day pestilences. Then there are diseases that absolutely terrify us, like Ebola or SARS or a mad cow disease. These are terrifying diseases. And Jesus told us that a sign of the last days would be famines and pestilences. We wonder when, we see, when, when Jesus says earthquakes, could he be talking about our day? I believe he could have, friends. Let's look at a couple relatively recent earthquakes that have happened. On December 26, you may remember this, December 26, 2004, there was a 9.1 earthquake off the west coast of Sumatra in the Indian Ocean. The resulting devastation from this tsunami killed 230,000 people in 14 countries. You guys remember this? This was like the big Christmas earthquake that happened in 2004. It made big, big news. 1.7 million people were displaced by this tsunami and earthquake. In 2005, 80,000 people died in one earthquake in Pakistan. In 2008, 70,000 people died from one earthquake in China. And in 2010, 220,000 people died in one earthquake in the small country of Haiti. These are catastrophic and terrible events, friends. They have to be telling us that we are getting closer to the return of Christ than ever before. Then we start thinking about weather-related events. On May 22, 2011, there was a one-mile-wide tornado that ripped through Joplin, Missouri, with winds over 200 miles per hour. About 25% of the town was completely destroyed. It was the deadliest tornado to strike the U.S. since 1947, and it was also the most costly tornado in U.S. history. I remember going there um, a little less than a year after it happened, and still much of the town was completely destroyed. And who can forget Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Rita, a one-two punch that caused over $150 billion worth of damage. Nobody had ever seen anything like it before. The damage was one thing, but there was also a loss of life. Families were torn apart, communities were destroyed, and you can't put a price tag on things like that. We had never seen such a thing in our nation before. And then just last year, we had Hurricane Harvey wreaking havoc on Texas. Do you remember that? It seemed like so much of, of, of Texas was underwater, really. The Hurricane Irma 
Irma also devastated the Caribbean and parts of Florida. Five out of ten, five out of the ten most active hurricane seasons have been in the last 32 years. Five out of the ten most active hurricane seasons have been in the last 32 years. Friends, things are getting worse, not better. However, it's not just rain coming down in the sky. In some, uh, in some places, it's a lack of rain. Not long ago in the Amazon jungle, there were two one in 100 year droughts, except they didn't happen 100 years apart. They happened within five years. These extreme weather related events seem to be happening all the time now. If it's not, if it's not flooding in one area, it's a drought. If it's it could be fire in one area. Just it's, it's all over the place, friends. Another sign of Christ's coming is the decay of morals. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the question begs to be asked, well, what were the days of Noah like? Well, the Bible tells us, friends. We get all of our answers from the Bible, amen? That's what we do here at Discover Prophecy. The Bible tells us here in Genesis 6, 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, how often? Continually. And then in Genesis 6, 11, the Bible says, The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Does Noah's day sound a lot like our day? Indeed it does, friends. Great wickedness and violence, evil thoughts continually, it totally sounds like our day. Friends, how bad does it have to get before we realize where we are in Earth's history? I was young, but it was back in 1999 in Columbine, Colorado. There were two students that walked into a high school and shot up and killed 15 people. They wanted to kill everybody in the school, but thank God it didn't work out that way. At the time, we wondered if this was about as bad as things could get. We discovered quickly that things would get much, much worse. In 2007, on a university campus in Virginia, one gunman was responsible for the death of 33 people. We can mention Sandy Hook as well. Horrible tragedies, friends, that our country has experienced. Just last year, uh, I think it was last year or maybe 2016, in Orlando, Florida, 50 people were killed at a nightclub with many more injured. And just last fall in Las Vegas, we had the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, modern U.S. history. We see violence continually, friends. And right when we could be tempted to think that all these things happen everywhere else except for where we live, then we have just, uh, just a year and a half ago, really, uh, a man that walked into the North Cascade Mall just about two hours north of us and just randomly killed five people in the mall. Friends, things like this can happen even in our own backyard. Absolutely terrible events. And now we live with the threat of terrorism. In many parts of the world, you have to fear ISIS. There have been terrible attacks in Egypt, Paris, Brussels, and many, many other cities. In Nigeria, there is Boko Haram. In other parts of the world, there are other terrorist groups. All of these trouble spots seem to be flaring up at the same time. The Middle East is a disaster, friends, to put it plainly. It's just a disaster. I don't think anybody alive doesn't think, uh, I don't think there's anybody alive who doesn't believe that something like 9-11 couldn't happen 
again. And that's why you go, when you go through the airport, when you're traveling, security is extremely tight. It's hard really to remember a time without it being like that. And we live with it because we must. Because we know that there are people in this world who would gladly do something like 9-11 all over again. The Bible said that in the end of time there would be evil continually and that the earth would be filled with violence. I think we're there, friends. Our world is in a very sad state. And to add to this, there are tens of millions of people trapped in various forms of slavery throughout the world today. Did you know that? Researchers estimate that 40 million people are enslaved around the world, generating $150 billion each year in profits for traffickers, according to freetheslaves.net. The statistics here are absolutely awful. 25% of that 40 million are children under the age of 18. 71% of them are women or girls. Yet slavery is not legal anywhere, but it happens everywhere. And as you can see on this map, America is no exception. It's even happening here in free America. We're living in a world where you cannot take your safety for granted. It's a, uh, we live in a world where it's routine for people to alarm their homes and put multiple locks on their doors. We go to great lengths to protect ourselves because even in the unlikely places, the unthinkable can happen. I mean, that, that shooting that took place just uh, a few months back in Texas was in such a small town, a, t a town the size of Onalaska, really. Went in and just shot up, I don't know how many people in that church. Just terrible things are happening, friends. That's, but that's the sad state of our world. And so we ask ourselves the question, is Jesus coming soon? I believe he is. Eh? I believe he is, friends. You might be tempted to say, well, friends, uh, Pastor, Pastor John, well, there have always been natural disasters. There have always been famines. There have always been pestilences. There have always been earthquakes. And you are right. There have always been these things. But notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. He said, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Now, that Greek word translated sorrows should more literally be translated birth pains. Now, I'm no expert on birth pains, as maybe some of you have met my wife, Kristen. We're expecting our first child here coming uh, in February. Hopefully, he doesn't come too early. Um, but uh, we found out that it's, we're having a baby boy, February 20. So we're very excited about that. So I'm not an expert on birth pains yet, but here's what I do know about birth pains. <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. When a baby is on the way, contractions begin, right? Well, at first, it's not quite so intense, and they're further apart. But the closer you get to the baby's arrival, the contractions get closer and closer and more intense. Jesus said that his coming, the signs of his coming, are like birth pains. Another earthquake doesn't mean much, but a frequency and an intensity of these events tell us that Jesus is coming back soon. Now, there's another sign that I want to show you. It's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 4. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. The, the book of Daniel was a sealed book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, in this passage, there is no doubt in my mind that Daniel was referring to spiritual knowledge. But it seems that he was also referring to secular knowledge as well. Look at some examples with me. 
Here is what a five megabyte hard drive looked like in 1956. It weighed over one ton and it's being loaded onto an airplane with a forklift. <laughs> Next to it is a flash drive that can fit in your pocket and that flash drive has 1,638 times more hard drive space than that one ton hard drive did in 1956. Times have changed. Knowledge has definitely increased. Tell a child back in the olden days that you had to take the film out of your camera, that you had to take it to the store, and you had to get it developed and, and processed in order to even see the picture, <laughs> right? The child would hardly believe you. If you tell the child that it was in black and white, they would probably laugh their heads off, <laughs> you know, with all the digital cameras and the, uh, the smartphones and everything. They may even ask you if you had electricity or running water back in the old days. Times have definitely changed. Digital cameras, smartphones, satellite dishes, the internet, email, texting, and we know it's all going to keep on changing. That's just what the nature of the game. If time were to last, our children's children were, would probably laugh at their parents and the fact that we all texted. So are we near the return of Jesus? Based on what Jesus said, the inescapable conclusion is that yes, we are. Which means that the greatest event in human history is about to take place. Now, with Jesus' words, there also comes a caution. He gave us another sign in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. He said, take heed that no one deceives you. Will there be deceptions in the last days, friends? Yes, there will. So he says, take heed. Watch that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Friends, have we seen false Christs in our world? Absolutely, we have. One such false Christ was a man by the name of Jim Jones. He pastored a church which was, the model, which was a model of racial harmony. First Lady Rosalind Carter even met with him on several occasions. And... Um, but in 1976, he led 900 of his followers to kill themselves in the country of Guyana. Among the dead were 300 children. Here was a man who said, if you want me to be your friend, I will be your friend. If you want me to be your God, I will be your God. He stood in the place of Christ for these people, and it was absolutely horrific, friends. It was a terrible tragedy. And friends, the devil is still trying to deceive people today. But I want to let you know that there is a simple way to not be deceived, friends, and that is to pray, read this book, and follow Christ. Amen? Amen. If you do those three things, you will not be deceived in these last days because God will be with you. He will help you. He will be your teacher. Amen? Amen. Follow the teachings of Jesus. Gather around the Word of God and make it your counsel. Make it your guide. Understand the teachings of the Bible and follow them. God has given us his word so that we can understand it. Follow the promptings of his Holy Spirit. And when he prompts you to give your life to him, just do it, friends. God can give you a new heart tonight. He can give you a future and a hope. The one who made water into wine can turn a sinner into a saint. Do you believe that? God can transform people's lives. Amen? He opened the eyes of the blind when he was here on this earth. And friends, he can open up our eyes and help us to see him with new eyes. Jesus raised the dead and he can also raise the spiritually dead. 
Let's look now at one more sign of Christ's soon return. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preaching how much of the world? All the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Friends, the gospel is spreading rapidly in these last days. Revelation 14, verse 6 also describes this event. It's, it talks about how the everlasting gospel will be preached to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Friends, God is wanting everyone to have an opportunity to accept him and to hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. That's why we're doing our Discover Prophecy series here. We want to do what we can to help people know that Jesus is coming soon and that Jesus loves them and wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. That's why we're reaching out here to our community in Onalaska and the surrounding areas. We want people to be ready when Jesus comes. Amen? Amen. And we praise God that the gospel is now going uh, to all the world through TV, radio, and internet. And we praise God that there are people out there that are giving Bible studies, that they are out there, some, some of even risking their lives in countries where it's dangerous to share the word of God. Friends, we are grateful for the missionaries that go out there. Amen? There are many out there in dangerous countries risking their lives for the Lord, and we should pray for them. And friends, I do believe that we are living in the time of the end that Jesus foretold. The Holy Spirit is at work in these last days to reach as many people as possible. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise. That is the promise of his coming, his second coming, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that, how many? All should come to repentance. Friends, Christ wants as many people as possible to be saved. But it's time for us to turn to him now while we still have breath. Amen? While we still have life, we, we should turn to the Lord. Don't put it off another day because time will eventually run out for all of us. None of us know how long we have on this earth. Now is the time to make things right. In Luke chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said, Now when these things begin to happen, do what? Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Friends, I believe our redemption is near. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Now is the time for us to lift up our heads and to look up and to keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? The world may be falling apart all around us, but if we keep our eyes fixed on him, he will see us through to the end. Amen? Jesus also said this in Matthew 24, verse 33. He said, when you see all these things, know that it, that is, my coming is near at the doors. When all these things are taking place with more intensity and more frequency, then you know that Christ's coming is near. He's at the door. Years ago, people sent important messages by telegram. Today, we're texting, we're tweeting, we are Facebooking, we're Snapchatting, we're Instagramming, and WhatsApping. We like instant communication, don't we? Sometimes we're a little uh, frustrated if someone doesn't respond back immediately. That's how much we like instant communication. But friends, there is a message that we really need to make sure that we're getting. There's a text that we need to make sure that we're reading and studying. Amen? Amen? And that is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention. He's telling us that now is the time to put our faith and trust in Him. 
We cannot be far away from the time in which Daniel called a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Thankfully, friends, the verse doesn't end there, or it would be not too good, right? It continues, though. It says, At that time, your people shall be delivered. God's people will be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Friends, how many of you want to be written in that book? Amen. I want my name there. Friends, God is not going to abandon his people during the time of trouble. Instead, he's going to be with them and he's going to deliver them. Everyone who is found written in the book, the the book of life. The signs say that we're almost there. Now more than ever before, we need to be reading and studying God's word for ourselves because we don't want to miss and we don't want to ignore the signs that God has given. It's been more than 100 years now since the Titanic sailed across the Atlantic. It sailed from Southampton, England, bound for New York City on its maiden voyage. It was said to be the safest and largest ship that had ever set sail. However, we know what happened to the Titanic. It now sits on the bottom of the ocean floor, nearly 370 miles south of Nova Scotia. What many people forget is that the Titanic was, was heading... West, while it was heading west on its journey, it received nine warning messages saying that there were icebergs ahead. Nine warning messages. And every one of those messages was received and, and understood and then ignored. Today, the cemeteries in Nova Scotia are filled with those that died from the Titanic. More recently, A cruise ship, the Costa Concordia, was wrecked off the coast of a small island named Isola del Giglio. It ran over a rock that tore a 150-foot gash in the hull, causing the ship to, to take on water and to eventually sink. Like the Titanic, it wasn't supposed to sink, right? You don't... You don't build a ship so that it sinks. You build it so that it can sail and get people where they need to go safely. But sadly, friends, a number of people lost their lives in that terrible tragedy. But even after the ship had encountered that rock, the people on board were unaware that they were in danger. When the event occurred, they were told, uh, they were, uh, they were told from the ship that the ship was dealing with an electrical fault. And so they went on and joined the cruise while the ship was sinking. Friends, planet Earth is a ship that is sinking. Yes, there's still much that looks wonderful, especially here in the beautiful Northwest. Amen? But friends, we must not fool ourselves into thinking that we're cruising along safely and that tomorrow everything will be just the same as it was today, because it won't. The signs tell us that Jesus is coming back. The question isn't, is he or isn't he? The question is, what about us? What about me? Am I ready? Friends, Jesus is knocking on your heart's door tonight. He's trying to get your attention because time is short. Friends, will you let him into your heart tonight? If that's your desire, would you just raise your hand with me as we pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the signs that you've given in your word that help us to know that your coming is soon. Lord, we're sick of this old world, Lord. We're tired of the pain and the the heartache that we experience, Lord. We're tired of losing loved ones. We're tired of hearing terrible diagnosis. And Lord, we want 
to be reunited with you. Lord, we pray that you would help this gospel, this everlasting gospel, to go to all the world, Lord, as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Lord, we pray that you would continue to knock on the heart's door of so many in this world, Lord, that you would reach out to to them and to us. And Lord, there may be some here tonight that are hearing you knock on their heart's door, saying it's time to wake up. Things, the, the time is at hand. Now is the time to let me in. And Lord, I pray that if they hear that voice, if they hear you knocking, Lord, I pray that that each person in this room, Lord, would let you in and that you would make your home in their hearts, Lord, and that you would help prepare each one of us for your soon coming. Lord, we don't want to miss the signs. Lord, we don't want to be like those that were on the Titanic that heard nine messages and ignored them all. Lord, help us to receive the messages that you have for us. Lord, help us to study your word. Help us to understand it. And I pray, Lord, for... For our family members, Lord, I pray for our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, Lord, that may not know you. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to do a mighty work on this earth. Lord, as long as we have breath, Lord, please use us in helping to reach them as well. Lord, give us words. Help us to, to know our Bible so we can share it with those that we come in contact with. Lord, bless each person. Thank you, Lord, that you brought them here tonight. We pray that you would bless each one of us now as we leave this place. Keep us in your care is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.